Well, um, to begin the new year, I thought that we would spend some time from now all the way into Easter in the Gospel of Luke. Um, I was trying to come up with some kind of catchy sermon title, you know, like, Use the Force, Luke, but uh, the staff shot that down. They didn't like the idea. You know, Cool Hand Luke, uh, that didn't work either. So there's really no title to the sermon. We're just going to spend the next several months in the Gospel of Luke because it is the Gospel reading that is a part of the Revised Common Lectionary. Uh, Many of you may know something about the Revised Common Lectionary. A lot of churches throughout the world uh, refer to and use the Revised Common Lectionary as as the theme of their worship experiences week in and week out. It's a three-year cycle of Bible readings, typically but not always. It includes a Hebrew Bible reading or an Old Testament scripture, a psalm, an epistle reading, and the gospel reading. Uh, When it's appropriate and when it's possible, those different readings are somewhat thematically linked. Maybe one uh, speaks into the other. Um, But um, these lectionary cycles over the course of three years would expose you in large part to the bulk of our scripture. There are even daily readings for the lectionary that if you wanted to read more of the scripture, you could follow it along every single day. It's usually tied into the seasons of the Christian calendar, and uh, for those of you who don't know, the Christian calendar begins with the first Sunday of Advent, not the first Sunday of January. And so um, I just thought it would be good to spend some time in the lectionary for the next several months leading up into Easter, and we are in cycle C of the lectionary and the gospel reading, the dominant gospel reading for cycle C is the book of Luke, the gospel reading. So that's what we're going to spend the next few months doing. Um, For our scripture lesson this morning, you've heard it, there are a couple of different reasons why Mary and Joseph and Jesus made their way to the temple that day. There's the rite of purification, and there's also the offering of the firstborn male child. The rite of purification and the offering of the firstborn male child. Now the rite of purification was that uh, according to the Levitical law, when a woman had given birth to a child, she became ritually unclean for a, a period of time. And the period of time which this woman would be considered ritually unclean was dependent upon the sex of the child that was born. So if you were to give birth to a male child, you were uh, ceremonially unclean for 40 days. And if you were to give birth to a, a, a girl, you were unclean for 80 days. Now what's up with that, right? But that's what the text tells us in in the Old Testament, several different places. And so uh, part of what's happening here is that it's 40 days since the birth of Jesus. And Mary is going to the temple with Joseph and Jesus to offer an offering in the temple so that she can once again become pure, ritually pure. And so that's one of the reasons why Mary and Joseph and Jesus make their way to the temple that day. The second reason why they made their way to the temple that day is because 
of the offering of the firstborn male child. This too, in Uh, found in several different places in the Old Testament, but Exodus 13, I think, is the first instance where it occurs. And it says that when you have a male child, that that child must be given back to God because that child first belonged to God. And when you took your firstborn child to give back to God in the temple, basically what was happening is that you were setting that child apart And that child would not go back home with the family. That child would not follow in the footsteps of their parents in their particular trade. But that child would stay in the temple and be of service in the temple for the remainder of that child's life. And and there was, however, a way for you to not do that if you did not want your child uh, to spend the rest of their lives in the temple then you could buy that child back. And so that's another reason why Mary and Joseph and Jesus go to the temple that day. They wanted to make sure that Mary was ritually clean, and they also wanted to buy their son back from God. Now I have to uh, ask was it really even necessary for Mary and Joseph and Jesus to go do that? I mean, number one, if you are giving birth to God's Son, is there any way that you could be uh, unclean? I mean, you are actually giving birth to the Messiah, right? Uh, and, And would you need to buy back a son that's already God's son? I, I don't know. But what I do know is that Mary and Martha... Uh, Mary and Martha, (laughs) wrong story, I'll preach on that some other time. (laughs) Mary and Joseph, it's like I work with Mary and Martha or something, but Mary and and Joseph, um, they go in and and this is what they're offering. They they want uh, to bring their son back. They are devout. They They are faithful. And even their son Jesus would go on to say one day that I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And so that's the reason why Mary and Joseph and Jesus are in the temple that day. And while they're in the temple, they encounter a man named Simeon. We don't know a lot about Simeon because Simeon doesn't show up anywhere else in the Bible. We can assume that Simeon is likely a man well advanced in years. Uh, We can uh, assume that that because it says that he had spent a lot of time waiting uh, because he had been promised by God that before you die, you will see the Savior. You will see the Messiah. And so they encounter uh, Jesus and Mary and Joseph in the temple that day. Now the only two things that we really know about Simeon are there are two words that are used to describe him. Devout and and, uh, righteous. Devout and righteous. Wouldn't it be nice to be known as devout and righteous? Uh, Just for fun, if you know the person next to you, look at them and tell them what you think the two words they'd be known by. No, don't. (laughs) Don't don't do that. Um, That could get out of hand really fast. But Simeon was known as a devout 
and righteous man. And so Simeon is there in the temple and something happens. This isn't, he, he realizes as soon as he holds this baby Jesus, as soon as he looks into Jesus' eyes, that this is the promise that was made to him fulfilled. That this is the Messiah. And what is so fascinating to me is that this is not the 31-year-old Jesus or 32-year-old Jesus, or 33-year-old Jesus until he died. This is the baby Jesus. This is the child who has not yet turned water into wine or performed any other miracle. This is the one that will grow up to heal people of leprosy and blindness and forgive sins and and to uh, make a way for all persons to come to know him. But that's not what Simeon is holding that morning. This Jesus has done none of those things. This Jesus is a helpless child. And yet somehow when Simeon held that child and when Simeon looked into the eyes of that child, he knew that this was the promise fulfilled. He knew that even though this infant couldn't even yet utter a word, that this infant would grow up to be able to speak so eloquently that he would be a wonderful counselor. And he knew that even though this infant was so vulnerable and could not do anything on his own, but relied completely on others to take care of him and to provide for him and to nourish him, that this vulnerable little baby would one day become mighty God. And he knew that this infant child, a son to Mary and Joseph, would one day grow up to be everlasting father. And somehow Simeon knew that this little bitty child that grew, that was born into a tumultuous time in the world would grow up to be called the Prince of Peace. When Simeon looked at this little child, he knew that this child, and even said so, would be loved by many people, but this child would also be rejected by people. And those that would reject this child would end up crucifying this child. And through his death and through his subsequent resurrection, that this man would change the world. He knew that this little baby that he was holding was somehow the light that had come into the darkened world. He knew that this child would not only be a light to him, but would be a light available to all. And so Simeon takes that baby in his hands and he says, this is the promise fulfilled. I can now depart or rest in peace. And there may be some of you that are a lot like Simeon. Maybe you've lived your life and you've uh, waited every single day for a promise to be fulfilled and you never lost hope and you never lost faith and you just always believed and if it didn't happen today, you woke up the next day believing that this is going to happen. 
the God's promise to me is going to be fulfilled. And, and you've had no instances where your faith ever wavered. And there may be a few of us here today that have had that kind of faith. And thanks be to God for it. But I suspect there are a lot of people here this morning that, that wanted to believe in God's promises has been made known to us throughout all of history. But with each passing day that the promise wasn't fulfilled, our faith faded and our hope dwindled. So that as each passing day and week and year happened, we, we just began to lose hope. We just began to lose faith. We began to question whether or not this would ever happen because life's not been good to us. Things that have happened that have created anxiety and fear and suffering and pain. And, and it's just hard to believe in a moment like that. And I'm wondering if that's why also included in this story is the story of Anna. We don't know a lot about Anna either. She doesn't show up anywhere else in Scripture. But what we do know is that she was married for seven years and then her husband died. And what we do know that is when a woman's husband died back in these days, that it made her extremely vulnerable. Unless the family took her in to themselves, there was a really good chance that this woman was going to know heartache and pain and suffering and anxiety and fear because there was really no provision for her to take care of her in the way that a husband would. And yet we're told that after being married seven years, she's widowed for a lot of years after that. She's now 84 years old. Life hasn't gone the way that she thought it would go. She's known pain and disappointment and heartache and losing a husband way too early. And yet Anna still has hope. And this may be too simplistic an answer, but I can't help but wonder if one of the reasons why Mary, uh, Anna still has that hope is because every day she was in the temple. She was praying to God. And she was fasting before God. And she was worshiping. She may have had days where she, her faith began to fade. She may have had days where she began to doubt and question. And yet day after day, she presented herself in the temple where she worshipped and she fasted and she prayed. It's as if she knew that God's presence in our lives isn't always dependent upon our perception of it. It's as if she just knew that by going and praying and fasting and worshiping God, that that's an act of faith in and of itself, even when we're beginning to doubt and even when we're struggling with what life presents to us. Day after day, she went back to the temple and she prayed and she worshiped and she fasted. 
And so if there's anyone here this morning that your life's not going the way that you wanted it to go, if you've known anxiety and hurts and disappointments and fears and anxieties and and maybe your faith is beginning to fade and, and, and maybe your hope is beginning to diminish, I just want to affirm you that just by being present here today, offering yourselves to God, praying, fasting, and worshiping. I believe, I believe will help usher in a time when you'll be able to experience hope, a promise fulfilled. And so that's my prayer for you this morning. If there's something that you've been longing for, if there's something you've been waiting for, if there's something that you just thought, boy, if I could just have this to happen in my life, then, then, Lord, receive me into your heavenly kingdom. I'm done. Life wouldn't get any better than that. My hope is that the same light that appeared to Simeon and Anna in the temple that day will appear to you in a way that rekindles your hope in a way that leaves you convinced that God's promise for your life is being fulfilled in a way that would leave you praising and worshiping God. May it be so.